The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy by design and talking about great guests. This is one of my very favorite guests. She's been on our show three times. We were so thrilled last year to be able to interview her in person. But right now she is sitting at the International Association of Privacy Professionals in Washington, D.C., and we usually get to go, but we weren't able to go this year, so we are on the phone with her in D.C., and we're very excited. Let me tell you, if you haven't heard her before, you are going to love this, and let me tell you about her. Um, Ann Kavikian, Dr. Ann Kavikian, is a, a Ph.D. She is the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada, and she is recognized as one of the leading privacy experts in the entire world. She's noted for her seminal work on privacy-enhancing technologies, and more recently and really importantly around the world, for her concept of privacy by design, which seeks to proactively embed privacy into the design specifications of information technology and accountable business practices. Privacy by design achieves the very strongest possible privacy protection, which is really incredible. In October of 2010, regulators from around the world gathered at the Annual Assembly of the International Data Protection and Privacy Commissioners in Jerusalem, Israel, and there they unanimously passed a landmark resolution recognizing Anne's privacy by design as an essential component of fundamental privacy protection. This is around the world. This was followed by the United States Federal Trade Commission's inclusion of privacy by design as one of its three recommended practices for protecting privacy online. So that shows the incredible validation of its significance. Dr. Kavukian serves as the chair of the Identity, Privacy, and Security Institute at the University of Toronto, Canada, and she's also a member of several boards including the European Biometrics Forum, the Future of Privacy Forum, the RIM Council, and she has been conferred a Distinguished Fellow of the Poneman Institute, and I'm so thrilled to be on that with her. And Dr. Kavukian was honored with the prestigious Christian Beckman Award in 2011 for her pioneering work on privacy by design and privacy protection in modern international environments. And then in that same year, 
She was also named by Intelligent Utility Magazine as one of the top 11 movers and shakers for the global smart grid industry. And she received the Canadian Privacy Professional of the Year Award. And I could go on and on and on. It just, (laughs) we'll never hear her speak. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining us from D.C. Oh, thank you, Mari. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Well, I think we should tell the story of of how funny um, this is that about the smart grid, the the San Diego (laughs) Gas and Electric wanted to put a smart meter on my home and I wouldn't let them for months and months and months until I found out that Anne was going to be helping them to do privacy by design or redesign into the smart grids down in San Diego Gas and Electric and that she is the only reason I let them put a a smart meter And I can assure you, you don't have to worry about it. SDG&E is really protecting your privacy very strongly. I can guarantee that. And the only reason I would do that is because I know you're you're consulting with them and helping them. So, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I have friends that work for San Diego, uh, for Southern California Edison, and I was telling them they need you too. Well, in fact, we want to get them, so we'll have to talk afterwards on how to make that happen. <laughs> right. So I already told her what uh, t- to put a little, you know, a little bug in their ear about oh, how important excellent. it is. Thank so you. yeah. So yes, I'm. I just have to tell my audience: this woman is not only brilliant; she uh, is also a psychologist. She is also like the nicest, most down to earth person, and just so. Really, genuinely kind, and just I, I'm just so thrilled to have oh, you you're on. You're very kind, Mari. Thank you. Well, it is fun. So, for for my audience who really doesn't know much about privacy by mm-hmm. design, by the way, we've talked about it many, many times on our show about your privacy by design and really building that kind of you know proactive approach into the architecture of all sorts of new technology and businesses. So let's talk a little bit about that and yeah. um, and, and just tell us what is a refresher on privacy by design. Well, the traditional way of protecting privacy is, is you have a regulator like myself. We receive privacy complaints. We conduct an investigation, and then we find there's been a breach of a, of the, of a law, and then we offer some system of redress. The problem with that reactive after-the-fact model is that there is no way we are going to be able to address all the infractions that are taking place in this web-enabled world of online social connectivity, ubiquitous computing. Everyone is connecting wirelessly now on mobile devices. There's just too much activity in order to be able to address all the harms that are arising after the fact in the reactive regulatory mode. So the reason I came up with Privacy by Design a while back was I thought, this is crazy. Why don't we just try to get in there before the harm arises? Let's try to proactively protect privacy by embedding privacy directly into the design of information and communications technologies, uh, accountable business practices and processes, networked infrastructure. Let's build it in to the architecture, into the actual code at the outset, at the time of the creation of these um, programs and activities, various apps. And that way, we can just try to avoid the privacy harm from arising completely. Wouldn't that be a better model? So that's what privacy by design is all about. It's trying to prevent privacy harms from arising at all. That way, you don't have to you don't have to uh, seek a system of redress after the fact. You can just avoid it. 
And, you know, it's interesting because when we talk about the smart grid, for example, you know, the electric companies and the and the gas companies and the water companies, they always, the only kind of things that they ever dealt with with consumers was really the billing, right? That's yes. all they did. Yes. And now let's talk about the smart grid because everybody who's listening has probably got a smart meter or they're learning about smart meters. And, and that's such a great example to, to kind of show what you're talking about with privacy by design because you've done sure. so much with that. Well, we've done, I think we've, we've published probably about nine papers on uh, smart meters and privacy, how you can embed privacy into the design of smart meters. And it's really quite simple. The smart meter replaces the, uh, the, the, you know, hydro guy who used to come to your door and the meter reader, that's what he was called. Yeah. And he would come to your door once a month. That was what he what was with my house. And he would read on the meter how much electricity you, you would use that month, and then you would accordingly be billed for the electricity use, and you'd pay your bill, and end of story. That was the only reason that information would be used for billing purposes. So when I've met with utilities, now that they're bringing in the smart meter, what the smart meter will do is it will wirelessly be able to read your electricity usage on a, a, almost a real-time basis in 15-minute intervals. It will know all about your electricity usage, but in very detailed ways. It will know not only how much electricity you're using, but what you're using it for. And so you could imagine the future scenarios where your employer could theoretically access this information and see that maybe the reason you're coming to work late every night, every every morning, is because every night you're watching TV late into the night and you're going to bed very late. That's when all your lights turn off and everything, and you're waking up very late and showering late, and they'll know when you eat. It could reveal um, what one of the academics said, an entire new library of personal information relating to people's electricity usage within their household. Now, remember, the activities within your household are supposed to be sacrosanct. This is the last bastion of privacy. No one should be able to get in there without your complete uh, informed consent. Yes. So what I said to the utilities, I said, okay, I understand what you're, what you're doing, and I understand why you're doing it, and ideally if the information is given back to the consumer, then it might enable them to conserve energy better in terms of green energy pursuits, and they might benefit from the information. And, and if they want, it, they could adapt their behavior to use electricity at times where it's more uh, cost-effective, etc. But I said, first of all, the only reason you start by collecting this information is for billing purposes, similar to what you do now. Then, if you want to use it for additional purposes, if you want to send information to the consumer about sustainability and changing their time of use patterns, you get their consent. Do they want that information? If yes, by all means. Then, you only use the information for that purpose. And then if you want to contemplate actually sharing the information outside of the utility to third parties, you don't even consider doing that unless you have the positive consent of the consumer. Because remember, it's their information. They, you, you are providing them a service for which they pay you. Right. You have no authority to use that information for any other purpose. So with that very similar, simple premise, we work with utilities around the world on embedding privacy by design so that they honor those principles and they restrict their usage of your what's called consumer energy usage data for the limited primary purposes for which it was intended, and then for any additional secondary uses of the data, they have to get your permission to use it for additional purposes. It's that simple. Yeah, and it would seem that even for law enforcement that they should get, 
you know, they, they need to get a warrant to be able to get that too. You know? Absolutely. Law enforcement, ha- if they have a legitimate reason to believe there's, there's some crime being committed or some infraction of the law, they can get court authorization, get a warrant, and then they come in. Without that, I'm sorry, you don't get this information. Right, right. And we have seen, you know, how our information has proliferated everywhere without our consent for so long that it's like putting the genie back in the bottle in so many ways, except for when you're going to have a new technology or a new service, this is the perfect time to put it in there. Absolutely. If you don't do it at the outset, then the the trying to bolt on uh, privacy protections after the fact, after the, the system has been designed and operational, it rarely works. It's certainly never as effective as as building in the protections directly into the system design. And we know from engineers that I've spoken to and technologists, this is eminently doable. But if you can do it at the outset, it's much easier, much more cost-effective, and much more successful. Yes. And I think for people who are driving by who are business people, and then we're we're kind of like a little Silicon Valley here in Aliso Viejo. So for yeah. those people who are all excited and they're technology gurus and they're doing all this, they might say, well, why do I even have to think about privacy? What's the big deal? Well, they need to understand that the regulators and the laws and, you know, that this is really going to be important. And if they get uh, in trouble with the Federal Trade Commission or they yeah. get sued, then they're going to have to look at all these things. So it's better not only because it's better for your consumers and it's a value added, but also it may save you from a lawsuit or from the regulators coming after you. Absolutely. I mean, the FTC has been very, very strong on protecting privacy. Last year, they put out a paper on on the three recommended practices for uh, protecting consumer privacy. The first practice they recommended was privacy by design. So they're very strong on privacy by design. They've, uh, it's been reflected in consent decrees, decisions that they make at, uh, at the conclusion of investigations. So they're very strong on this, and that trend will continue. But to the companies or organizations or, you know, the, the, the cool technologists who say, what's the big deal about all this personal information? Who cares? I, I suggest to them uh, there are two reasons they should care. First of all, it's not your information, company or organization. It's not your information. It, the information relates to what we call the data subject or the con- who is the consumer or the individual to whom the data relate. It's their information. You as a company may have custody and control over that information, but you sure as heck don't own that information. And so if you have custody over the information, what comes along with that is a duty of care. You can't just collect people's personal information and do whatever the heck you want with it. No, you have to protect that. You have to follow the regulatory structure, the laws, the decisions of the FTC. There's a lot of um, what some would consider burdens associated with keeping personally identifiable information, which should serve as an incentive not to keep personally identifiable information unless you need to for the purposes of your business, in which case you should be able to, if the FTC comes knocking on your door, you should be able to tell them why do you collect that information. You have a legitimate business reason. You have the consent of the, the customers or consumers involved. You have to explain what you're doing with this information. And it's, it's that simple and that difficult. I always tell people, engage in data minimization. If you do not need to collect personally identifiable data, don't do it. And you will save yourself a boatload of trouble afterwards when the regulator comes knocking if there's an infraction. Exactly. And and you're not just talking about big companies because you could have no. a small mom and pop 
you know, online company where you collect data and you have the same responsibility yeah. as the big companies. And people don't realize that. They think, oh, well, I'm just a little guy. What does it matter? But uh, if you're collecting that information, it does matter. You're so right. And what I tell you with little uh, mom and pop operations, because I feel for them, I know they don't have security staff and all these people working for them. And they say, well, how can I do it? And I say the simplest thing you can do is de-identify the data. By that, I mean if you collect data from your customers for legitimate purposes, you're providing a service, they're paying for it, and you're keeping it in your computer, on your server, or wherever, then if you want to do some, you know, interesting, I wonder how many people are doing X or how many people use this service, I always tell them just separate the personal identifiers, meaning the name and address and, you know, perhaps a credit card number or whatever is linked to the data. Separate it from the actual data itself. To, that it relates to. That way, if the data is lost or stolen, let's say it's transferred to a USB key and that goes missing, then you will not suffer in, in terms of an investigation because the data will not be in personally identifiable form. The privacy harm arises when personally identifiable data are accessed by unauthorized parties, for example. But if you don't have the personal identifiers linked to the data, you keep them separate in a separate file or database, then you're, you're golden, at least in terms of the privacy risks that can arise from having that data misplaced. And that's so important. And there is so much software out there that allows you to do that. Now, with all the privacy issues that are going on, you can buy software that can help you to do that. So it isn't yeah. like, oh, my God, you have to do each one by itself. Yeah, but I want to go true. back to, to people understanding who you are and what you really do. We don't have privacy commissioners in right. our country. And right. so I think it's so fascinating and all the great work you're doing. Oh my gosh, I just, I want to adopt you. I love you. <laughs> but um, as if, if you just started listening, we are speaking with Dr. Ann Kavukian, who is the information and privacy commissioner of Ontario, Canada. And so you only hear that little accent when she says about. Otherwise, she sounds just <laughs> like we do. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. But, Anne, why don't you explain how what your role is? And, you sure. know, because people don't understand that we don't have that here. So I, I have a quasi-judicial function. I enforce compliance with privacy laws in my jurisdiction of Ontario, Canada. What that means is I'm not a civil servant. I don't work for the government. I'm an officer of the legislature, so I report to the, through the Speaker uh, of the House to the legislature. And the reason for that is it gives me independence. My budget isn't controlled by the government. And the reason that's a good thing is because if a member of the public complains to me about something the government has done, I have the independence of doing a fair and independent investigation. And if I find that the government has breached the act, I can issue an order against the government mm -hmm. saying you've got to change these practices, you've got to do this, do that. And you can imagine it would be much harder to do that and criticize the government if they controlled my budget. So having the independence from them and operating as an as a officer of the legislature is, gives me enormous freedom to do my job properly. And what I do is I enforce compliance with three laws. Uh, I'm also the Information Commissioner, so I enforce compliance with the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act at the provincial or state level at also all municipalities in the province of Ontario, which is the largest 
province in Canada. Just under, I think, half the population of Canada resides in Ontario. It's the most populous. Right, uh, and you state. guys have Toronto. So if those of you are listening, are, if you've been to beautiful Toronto, that's in your state. Yes. Okay. So I enforce compliance with those laws at the at the provincial, at the municipal level, and also uh, I enforce compliance with PHIPAA. You have HIPAA in the states for health information protection. I have PHIPAA, the Personal Health Information Protection Act. And that applies to everyone, public or private sector, all doctors, all hospitals, laboratories, testing facilities, uh, surgeons, etc. Everyone falls under PHIPAA. So we take our job very seriously. I want to make sure that information, personal information, health information is strongly protected, but that the use that needs to be made of that information is absolutely made. So, for example, in the medical field, we have this concept of circle of care. And what that means is when doctors and physicians need access to your health information for your treatment and care, there's no problem. It can be shared. Your, your GP can refer you to a specialist who might refer you to a testing facility to get an MRI, who might refer you to a pharmacist to get some medication. All of that information can be shared within your healthcare practitioners because they're all there to treat you, and you want that done right away. You don't want any impediments. But if anyone contemplates sharing your information outside of that circle of care, for example, they want to send it to your employer or to your insurer, all the walls go up, and then you need written positive consent, your consent, to share that information. Otherwise, it is not shared. So it's an excellent, practical, very privacy-protective system. Now, and do the do the consumers themselves have access to the same data that that's being in that circle of trust? So oh, to speak? yes, absolutely. Individuals, consumers, citizens, patients—they have a right of access to their own information, their own personal information. It's a very strong, very important right because if you don't have your own information, you don't know who has what about you. You don't know what information may be out there. Also. I always say in the healthcare field, you have to be your own advocate. The patients have to manage their information and make sure they know who has what. So patients have a right of access to their health information, and citizens, consumers have a right of access to to their uh, government-held information, whatever information is held about them that is personal in nature. Yes. So when a, um, a consumer in your state has a problem, they can call your office or they can just write an email or how do, how do they... They can do yeah. either one. They can call, they can send us an email. If they want to write a letter, they can. They just uh, advise us that um, they had some interaction with uh, Ministry of Transportation, for example, or you know whatever department of the government, and they have this problem or they think that the, the ministry is using their information contrary to uh, the the Privacy Act. So we immediately engage in an investigation. We contact the department. We get the information in question. We connect with the complainant. We find out all the story. And what we try to do, we usually try to mediate uh, the complaint. So we try to get an informal resolution that satisfies both parties, and we do that as quickly as possible. We can do that under a month. If the problem is serious and we can't get a mediated solution, then we issue into a formal investigation. And I have what is called order-making power, which means if we find that there's been an improper collection of personal information, I can order the cessation of that collection practice, and I can order the, the government to destroy all previous collections of that information. Wow, that is wonderful. So what percentage do you think you're able to, your ombudsman office is able to really settle? 
We settled the majority. I would say three quarters of oh, our cases. That's great. Are settled informally because it, it, it makes everybody happy. It's a win-win scenario when we come to an agreement that everybody is, is happy with and they're all agreeing to. So we, we always strive to do that. And it, and it really saves the reputation of the company and it yes. satisfies the consumer and then the consumer is willing to do business with that company again. So it's so yes. smart. I wish we did that here, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you, we don't have a lot of time, but I did want to ask you about what uh, a new paper that you just completed with Oracle on privacy and security. Can oh, you just yes. tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I, I'm delighted to be working with Oracle. And we've always done privacy by design, but when we met with Oracle recently, um, they were saying, you know, we do privacy and security by design. That security is, of course, also very important. And I can't agree with that more because uh, I think it's principle five. Uh, There are seven foundational principles of privacy by design, and principle five is about end-to-end protection, full life cycle protection, which means end-to-end security. You can't have good privacy without strong security. So security is very important. And so when we met with Oracle and we both agreed to that, we said, okay, there has to be a convergence of privacy and security for strong business practices. So we couldn't agree with them more. So we met with them, and we did this paper all about how do you do this thing? How do you do this privacy and security uh, thing to, to assist other businesses? And the, the security by design aspect consisted of three components, software security assurance, uh, securing uh, the IT systems from the ground up and minimizing the impact of system breaches when a security vulnerability is discovered, then preserving privacy in the enterprise environment, determining and controlling how identity-related information, uh, including personal information, access entitlements and attributes are used and stored and propagated between systems. And then we also focused on the third feature, ensuring identity across heterogeneous vendors. There are lots of vendors that are used by various businesses. So we, this, this aspect referred to how identities uh, could be passed securely across multiple vendors, thereby supporting heterogeneous applications and security systems. For example, people have heard of SSL, secure socket layers, which um, are designed to encrypt a communication between two parties, ensuring that the message that is transmitted between the two is not vulnerable to attacks you know, while in transit. So we, we fleshed out all of that in the security by design uh, component. In the privacy by design, we focused on the seven foundational principles of privacy by design, ensuring that we took a holistic view of an organization's entire operations, not a siloed approach, but you look at it in a holistic manner and embed privacy right from the outset. And then we concluded by saying that there was a growing understanding that we, we call it a design thinking perspective is far superior from a, a siloed perspective. It's a way of viewing business and, and various uh, activities of organizations, overcoming constraints that allow you to approach this in a holistic and interdisciplinary manner that is innovative yet integrative, and it, it converges all of the interests of privacy with security. So, again, it's a win-win perspective by combining the two. 
It's a happy marriage. Absolutely. That's the best kind, isn't it? Right. Well, we are out of time, but you are so wonderful. Yes, we are. We could talk for hours. I know that we could. Could you just give your website so people can go and see all of the wonderful things that you have there? Of course. The best one to go to is, this is all as one word, privacybydesign.ca. So not .com, .ca, because we're in Canada. Right. So if you go to Privacy by Design, there's a lot of lot of different areas you can go into. I have a set of also YouTube videos that you can find there. I think it's called Commissioner's Corner. Yes. They're very short, three, four minutes, little messages about privacy by design being applied to various areas because we've worked with all the giants in the field, Intel, Microsoft, HP, Oracle. I, I know I'm missing a lot of them, but We've worked with a lot of them, and and I talk about that. You are terrific. Well, we will have you back again, and enjoy that conference, and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you so much, Mari. Much appreciated. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org in the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.